This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc, episode 105. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Hey there, and welcome to the show. My name is Michael Blanc, and I'm excited you're here to learn with me about apartment building investing. So today I have the show Todd Fox, and this guy is building a $37 million project with, I don't know, 207 units in it, and he came from a bankruptcy, and he, his first thing he did was a duplex. So when I hear that, I'm like, how does he get from a bankruptcy and a duplex to doing a $37 million project? And that's what I want to share with you here today. And I kind of made him go back into some fairly unpleasant uh, times. And he admits later that the early days to him were riskier now than actually doing a $37 million building. But it's always the beginning. How do you get from that beginning from where you are right now? And then you end up in a place where he is now. And there's a lot of space in between that. And I love going back in the time machine and really digging around and how people felt and what kind of challenges they, they had when they were going through that. So that's exactly what Todd described. So let's get right to an interview with Todd Fox. All right, Todd, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, give us Excited a quick, here. quick background on yourself. Well, you know, I've been doing real estate full-time for eight years now. But before that, I, I owned a Quiznos franchise, which was essentially the worst three years of my life. And because of that desperation I was in uh, with that, I kind of found real estate. Yeah, so I feel you, your Quiznos. I didn't have Quiznos, but I had a pizza franchise, which, which was about equally bad as what you apparently went through. So yeah, I got some battle scars from that. Still paying the price a little bit for that. But yeah. what was going on at the time where you started looking around at real estate? What was, what was happening at the time? Yeah, so I, I had the Quiznos. You know, I realized after the first know, three months that it was really not something that I enjoyed. I wasn't passionate about. And I started looking for something else. And I was actually dating this girl at the time. And, you know, I drove down this street, basically like a lot of student housing for the college. I'd never been down the street before. And she lived at the end of the cul-de-sac. And, you know, there was like 30, 40 of these duplexes that were all the same. And I thought to myself, this guy's got to be making money or he would have stopped after, you know, the first or second duplex. So, you know, I asked her if she could reach out to her landlord, figure out how much it costs to build the thing. And, you know, I started doing back of the napkin and I was like, oh, you know, this guy's making money. Maybe I could do this. So I kind of started looking for a piece of property to redevelop. I was basically going to just copy his model, which is a duplex, a three-bedroom, one-bath, three-bedroom, one-bath. And, you know, after a while, I came across this property that was at a, an estate auction and it was like a three-bedroom house. You know, I went to this estate auction and pretty much everyone that was there, they were there. They were like flippers. You know, they wanted to buy it and renovate it and flip it. And, you know, I had a different approach and I'm sitting at this auction and, you know, I had $20,000 to my name. And I was like, I can't go over that because that's literally all the money I had at the time. And, you know, auction starts out $1,000 here, $2,000 there. And, you know, my heart's freaking pounding and, you know, everyone's going, raising their hands. And all of a sudden I was like, sold for $32,000. And everyone's looking at me and I'm like, shit, what did I just do? And, you know, some guy walks by and he's like, this kid's going to lose his effing shirt. And I'm like, oh my God, am I going to lose my effing shirt? I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I had no background in construction. I didn't know anyone that was in construction and I just kind of freaked out and I was like, oh man, I, I, I think I just bought a piece of property. And, you know, I, I was very naive and very foolish, but it ended up working out. So, yeah. So, so that was it. your foray into real estate. So we're going to get back to that in just a second, but I think we skipped a couple yeah. steps. 
because you got into a Quiznos and what were you, why did you get into Quiznos? What were you trying to do with your life or financially that caused you to go into, into Quiznos? You know, when I got into Quiznos, like I said, I've always kind of been an entrepreneur and I thought it would be a good opportunity, like a good stepping stone. You know, they have all the systems in place. You know, they have the support team there that's supposed to help you. So I thought it would be a good opportunity for me to own my own business and kind of have that support. Came with a lot of shackles. And, you know, I realized that I really wasn't able to run the business that I wanted to. It's like, you know, you could not deviate outside of their system. And I think that was part of where my frustration came from. You know, it was like, this was my business, but it really wasn't my business, you know, and they had three CEOs over the course of three years and they kept changing the branding and it was very discouraging. So, so you were looking, obviously you're looking for ways that work for your, for yourself. And so Quizness obviously was a way to do that. And then it obviously it wasn't for you. And you, you saw this guy doing this duplex thing. It's not like you went to some kind of seminar boot camp. You saw this guy punching out these duplexes. You're like, wait a minute, I can do that. And then you immediately, without right. apparently thinking too much, which is great, by the way, you just went to the next auction and ended up buying them duplex for $32,000. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, now what do I do? And you probably overpaid for it. I don't know. What, ha- what happened after that? So luckily, you know, I did have the foresight to meet with an architect before I went to this auction because I wanted to make sure that I could actually build what I wanted to build on it. So the second I, I, you know, get this property, I called her up and I was like, Claudia, I think I just bought this property. I need your help. I don't know any contractors. She's like, all right, listen, calm down. Everything's going to be fine. You know, she's been an architect for like 25 years. She said, look, I, I know a bunch of really good contractors, good, honest people. I'll help you with the bidding process. I didn't even know, you know, that you, you'd bid out the project. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. So luckily we ended up, having a good contractor and we got it built on time and on budget. And I ended up getting more for rent than I originally projected. And it's like, Hey, this is a good thing. This, this is making me money. So, and what's interesting is I didn't continue down the real estate path. At that time I had started a, an internet startup with a friend of mine from college. And, you know, I started putting all my time and energy and focus into that. And I mean, it was another two, three years, three years, I think before I ended up even considering real estate again. Now, why was that? Because I did the same daggone thing. And, and part of it is maybe shiny object titus. The other one is like, you know, it's not as exciting. It's not what everybody else is doing. You know, why was it for you when you did this? Because that's pretty cool, but I'm going to do this internet thing. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, the internet thing, you know, it was something I was really passionate about. I thought it was going to be the next big thing. And, you know, we we're going to make hundreds of millions of dollars and, and whatnot. And, you know, I ended up realizing that it really wasn't for me. You know, I'm not a tech guy. I don't have a tech background. So I couldn't do any of the programming or the coding. And I didn't feel like I had the control that I wanted. And, you know, so at that time, I, the only income I had, I had moved down to New York City. I was working on this thing. The only income that I had was, you know, my one rental property. And I was actually doing a, selling jewelry on the street, like a street vendors, you know, for additional income. And it was actually making really good money. I mean, we were making you know, $1,500 a day profit, but it was a grind and it was not a career path. And, you know, at that time, the internet thing started kind of falling apart and I was in my apartment and I'm thinking, okay, what do I want to do next in my life? It was kind of like a pivotal moment. And I think that was kind of my aha moment was I'm sitting there. I'm like, all right, I'm making $20,000 a year profit from this duplex. I don't really have to lift a finger. You know, it was brand new construction. I had like zero maintenance that I ever had to do with it. You know, it was easy to lease because it was great location. It was a good product. And I said to myself, man, if I just own 10 of these things, I can make a quarter million dollars a year and passive income. You know, I, I, don't, I don't really even have to do much for it. And if I want to start another business, I can start another business. If I want to travel, I can travel. And 
So I sat there and I was in my apartment and I wrote on my wall, I was going to own 10 duplexes within the next three years. And I decided to kind of throw myself you know, 100% into it. You know, it's, so, I reflected, it's interesting that you said I reflected a lot on my own experiences. And, and I think there's a very strong desire from people to want to work for themselves. And I notice that when yeah. I speak with people, especially when they say, you know, when they, we're going to do some house flipping, we're going to do wholesaling, whatever else, really what they really want is they, they want to control their time. They want to control their right. time, but they're not going all the way through that thought cycle that if they are successful at flipping houses or wholesaling or whatever, they control their time, but they swapped one job for another. And mm-hmm. it was certainly like that when I started flipping houses, you know, I, I, I did not thought that through. The worst of it, like you, is I was making money too. So I was working constantly but, and I'm making money, but, but it was nothing passive about it. So it's right. interesting that, you know, so some of the serial entrepreneurs, we want to do this exciting stuff, but we never actually really think about what exactly do we want to achieve in life. And it took me a long time to figure that out. It sounds like you had that moment. You're like, I've done all these interesting things, but, and some were successful, some weren't. But why don't, why don't I try to figure out exactly what I want? And it sounds like that's kind of the realization you came to is, hey, gosh, I actually want passive income. Right. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And you know, what's great about it is, so I moved back to Ithaca, which is where our home base is. And you know, I started working full time at it. I kind of missed part of my story. So I had had a bankruptcy. I know we talked about that previously. I sold my Quiznos, you know, the previous owner or the guy that I sold it to. After about a year, he ended up stopped paying his rent. And the landlord came after me because I had a personal guarantee on the lease still, which they never released me from. So I was getting sued for $482,000. And you know, I went to a whole bunch of different attorneys and each attorney is like, look, this is an airtight lease. You know, if you want, you can go to court, you're going to pay off $50,000, you know, to $100,000 to fight this. And there's a good chance that you might lose. You know, I pleaded with the guy, I drove to Buffalo. I was like, look, you know, I'm supporting my daughter. I, I don't have any money. And, you know, this is something that I had no control over. And he just really didn't care. So, you know, the only option I really had at that time was to, you know, file for bankruptcy. So, you know, when I moved back to Ithaca and I'm like, all right, I'm going to start doing real estate. And I start meeting with banks. Every bank is like, what are you crazy? You know, come see me in five years or, you know, you're in the wrong profession, you know, go do something else because you're never going to get a loan. And luckily I didn't allow that to stop me. So I was like, well, you know, other people are doing it. I can do it. And, you know, I ended up partnering with somebody and I basically said, look, you know, if you can get I'll put up the money and help secure the financing. I can find the deals. I can turn the properties. I can manage the properties. All right, let's, let's back up a little bit. We did. Let's, let's back up a little bit because you kind of already kind of, because there was a trough time, right, Todd? Because right? I yeah. was through it. I mean, going through bankruptcy and such financial distress is very emotionally taxing. I mean, and so talk about that a little bit and how you came out of that. Yeah, but that was definitely one of the hardest periods of my life. You know, it was a very dark period, you know, because, you go into this deep depression. You know, I was looking at it like, man, you know, I spent three years of my life working this business. You know, we were actually number one in sales for our region every month. You know, I put everything I could into it to make it successful. And here I am starting it with nothing. You know, bankruptcy means you have zero money in your bank account. Everything goes to creditors. And, you know, it was, I'm looking at some of my friends who went into finance or went into marketing and they're making a hundred plus thousand dollars a year. And, They've been making that for the last three, four years. They're working their way up in their companies. Now, here I am. I just feel like I wasted three years of my life. And it was really challenging because, you know, you think to yourself, should I go work for somebody else? You know, should I, you know, I liked marketing in college. You know, I'm really creative. Maybe you go into marketing and make a bunch of money doing that. And, you know, you do a lot of soul searching. And it was definitely, like I said, it was 
you know, the most challenging time of my life. And luckily I decided to stay an entrepreneur and keep moving forward. And, but yeah, it was, it, it's hard to put into words unless you've actually gone through it. You know, it's hard to explain the emotions that you go through. Well, you so question yourself. a roller coaster. You, you question yourself yeah. like you're doing. You're like, you know, if, if I had just stayed in my job five, six years ago, yep. I'd be VP of this, you know, look at my friends, they're on Facebook, you know, they're, in, in the meantime, I've lost my entire net worth. For what? Exactly. Right. right. And you question yourself, right. even though your destiny is to work for yourself and you can feel that. But the reality is so different. So it sounds like you decided that they want to come out of it. And you did some soul searching. And, and what did you, you know, what was your conclusion from that? Yeah, so that was like, you know, we, we were starting to get the internet business going. And I was like, and that was another challenge. It's like, okay, I've got no money at this point. You know, I mean, I was literally eating pasta for breakfast, lunch, and dinner because I didn't have any income coming in. You know, I had, so it was, it was tough, you know, to say, to know that, hey, if, if I go down this path with this, this internet company, it might be two years before I even see a paycheck. So, you know, I decided to take the leap of faith and it didn't work out. But, you know, in the meantime, it helped me rediscover real estate. You know, everything happens for a reason. It really, it really does. And you kind of look back and, and the things you've done, you're like, oh, that was, a, that was a bad idea. This was actually a pretty good idea, but it's not, doesn't fit my style. And you kind of look at everything and it's like, like you, had, you know, had that one piece of real estate that just kept, you know, sending me mailbox money. I'm like, why right. don't I just do more of right. that? <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Yep. So, so by this point, of course, you don't have any more money, right? So now you're, now you're in the place where most people are, where I was also, when I started flipping houses, I didn't have any more money because I lost it all in the restaurants, kind of like yourself. And now you're like, well, do I just sit on the sidelines or do I do something? So, so you decided to do something and how did you solve that problem? So I, you know, I knew that I could build a good product. I knew that I could find the deals. I knew that, you know, I had the ambition and the tenacity to make everything come to fruition. I just didn't have any money and no banks were going to lend to me. So I, I decided, you know, all right, this is a problem, but this is a problem that has a solution. I just got to find a partner. And I went out and I ended up finding a partner and you know, it was a, a friend of mine who was actually, you know, investing in Connecticut or looking to invest in Connecticut. And I was like, okay, you know, show me some of these deals. And I said, look, I'm getting double those returns here. You know, give me a shot. Let me find a deal. If I bring you a deal that's double the returns that you're getting, will you finance it? Will you help get the bank financing? He said, yeah, absolutely. So I started knocking doors and sending letters and, you know, I was looking for a piece of property. So I was like, I want to duplicate what I already did. So I ended up knocking on this guy's door because he had a piece of land that was across the street that he owned that was like perfect for Ithaca College rentals. And he opens the door and I say, hey, this is you know kind of strange, but I'm just wondering if you've ever had any interest in selling the land across the street. And he said, well, the only way I'd sell the land is if you buy my house as well. And I was like, okay, can I see your house? And he said, yeah. So the upstairs where he lived was a six bedroom, three bathroom. Great. And it's, I mean, just amazing, you know, tons of space, the bedrooms are big. And then he had two apartments in the downstairs. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. And in my head, I'm like running numbers. And I'm like, all right, this house is probably worth 400,000, at least four and a quarter. And then the lot across the street was a double lot. So, you know, lots are going for at that time, like about 50,000. So I'm like, all right, here's a hundred thousand. So I asked the guy, I said, you know, what exactly would you want for the house and for the land? And he said, well, you know, I've, I've lived in this house for 30, 40 years, it's all paid off. And I'd probably want 260,000 and then 25,000 for the land. Okay. I was like, are you sure about that? He said, yeah, absolutely. The next day I, I left there, I called my attorney. I show up the next day with a purchase contract and 
I'm like, all right, you know, take this, uh, you know, I'm ready to sign It's sign contract. He signed, he was happy. And, you know, that was like, I feel like for me, a real aha moment. So it's like, I just created a couple hundred thousand dollars of value. If I turned around and sold on the open market, I can make a couple hundred grand. Yeah. And I was like, man, this is, this is amazing. That's like the first time where it was like, I need to do more of this. And I think that's when I kind of caught the real estate bug. Yeah. But, but, um, but, but one thing I, would, I don't want, I don't want you to gloss over. I mean, you're, you're sitting, your door knocking, you're sending out letters, right? I mean, most people, yeah. they go on the internet and they go on the MLS or they go on LoopNet and they're like, oh, there's no deals out there. And in the right. meantime, you're literally driving, you're knocking on people's doors, you're sending out letters. I mean, that's a lot of work. Yeah, no, it was definitely a lot of work. And you know, that's why when it actually hit, because there was 50 other people that I talked to that slammed the door in my face or told me, hey, if you ever send me a letter again, I'm going to get my attorney because you're harassing me. So it's like, you know, you get to that point, you're like, is this really work? You hear the podcast and you read books and everyone's like, yeah, it worked for me. And I started really doubting it. And it wasn't until like that guy opened that door and said, yeah, you know, only if you buy my house, come on in, let me show you around. And I'm like, what's really happening right now? So yeah, no, there was definitely, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of legwork that you got to do. And you know, even at that time, they didn't have, at least in our county, like online GS, GIS, where you can see like all the property stuff. So I had to go down to the county assessment office. And I'm opening like the tax maps. And I'm looking for parcels in the city of Ithaca or like on South Hill or areas that I wanted to build. And, you know, and I had to write down the tax number. Then I had to like go to the county clerk and like research who owned it. And it took a while and it was a process. Yeah, there was definitely some times where I thought about maybe quitting or, you know, this isn't, this isn't working. And then, yeah, that one fateful day where that guy opened the door and it really just kind of changed everything for me. Yeah, that was amazing. So obviously that was a slam dunk deal. And what did you do after that? So I put a little money into his house, rented that out. I was able to refinance my first duplex and pull money out of that. And I, you know, used that as part of my capital contribution for the two new duplexes that I ended up building on those two lots. And we just kind of started scaling the business from there, you know, buying like other duplexes or smaller multifamily homes, renovating them. And yeah, my business has scaled tremendously over the last three, four years. So your plan was to do 10 of these duplexes. Now you bought a second one, but at one point you, you said, hey, you know what? I need to go bigger faster. Why did, why did that even come about and what did you do about it? Yeah. So I realized, okay, I've mastered this. I've mastered the duplex. I've mastered renovations. I mean, when I first moved to Ithaca, I was doing everything. You know, I was laying flooring, I was setting toilets and painting. And I mean, when I, I was working a hundred hours a week, when I say a hundred hours a week, I mean, it was literally a hundred hours a week, seven days a week. You know, I did all the accounting, all the bookkeeping, all the leasing. And, you know, I learned the business from the inside out. And I said to myself, okay, I've mastered this. I'm the master of my craft and I want to do something bigger. So, you know, the next thing I ended up finding a piece of land where we could do, it was six units and 18 beds total, which is my biggest project. We did ground up construction and, you know, we built it in, I think it was like four months and our bank was saying it wasn't going to happen. At that time was, you know, I'd actually raise money from investors for the first time. So we ended up raising about $750,000 or $800,000 from two different investors. And they were like, are you sure you're going to get this thing built? I'm like, listen, I knew that at that time, I, you know, I knew the contractors, I knew how long everything took, I knew how to push and, you know, we got it built on time and on budget. And again, we were getting better rents than we projected. And, you know, we were giving our investors a, a better return. And, you know, you, when you start to get confidence, you realize that you can do certain things and you kind of want to take that next step. And I mean, right now we're actually 
building a 207 bedroom student housing development for Cornell University. And you know, it's a $37 million building. So, you know, I started with that first duplex, which was $200,000. And, you know, today we're doing, we've got three projects under construction and one of them is $37 million buildings. Yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, I talk about the law of the first deal uh, a lot. I don't have too many developers on the show, right? Because we normally buy something that cash flows kind of from day one. But it's clear that the law of the first deal is in effect here because you first do that first duplex and all of a sudden you have this track record. You have, you become this magnet for more deals and for more money. Right. I mean, it's really hard. Yeah. That first one. Well, what do you know about construction? Well, I, I don't. You know, I don't know anything about right. construction. But then you do it once or twice. People go, Oh gosh, he, he can build two units. Well, he can probably build six or eight or ten. Right. And at that point, the sky's the limit. Yeah, you know, that's what's amazing too, because you know, my group of investors that I have, it's all happened organically. One of the first guys, actually, his daughter was renting from me from my first duplex which is, you know, really ironic. It was amazing. The guy called me up and he said, hey, listen, I looked over the lease. Everything looks good, but that's actually not why I'm calling. And I was like, okay. He goes, you know, I, I did a semester at Cornell, you know, 20 years ago, and I always wanted to own property up there. You know, he owns tens of millions of dollars of property around Rutgers University. So, you know, he, he's in the student housing business. And he said, are you ever looking for investors? I was like, well, that's actually, you know, really ironic because I just got this property under contract where I could build, you know, an 18 bedroom, small multifamily. And, you know, we talked for like an hour over the phone and really hit it off. And, you know, the way that we run our business and, you know, our, our perspective on life is just very congruent. Like we mesh really well. And he's like, listen, I want to come to Niska, you know, have lunch with you. And, you know, he ended up spending five hours with me. I toured him around the properties, you know, showed him the quality of the work that we did. And we just hit it off. And, you know, he's invested with other projects ever since. And, you know, the most recent one, you know, he brought in friends that each had a million dollars each. And these are guys I never even met before. Uh, you know, if you do right by people and you take care of them and if you always put their interests ahead of your own, you build that relationship and you build that trust and it grows organically. So it's pretty amazing how I've scaled my business. And it's all been because of relationships, you know? It's, it's so true. And when you put this property under contract, you did not have the money raised for you, did you? Which one? Well, no, the, 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 the bigger one, the one chocolate, with that one investor. One? Yeah. No, no. And, you know, before that, the most I had ever raised was 2 million and I had to raise 7 million for this one. So like, even that is, it's a pretty big leap. And I just, based on my investor group, you know, and they said, Hey, look, you know, you've done right by us. You know, I got friends that I know are going to want to invest. So, you know, put together the pro forma. If the numbers look good, I'll help raise the money. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Now, the, the 18 bedroom, the, the, I guess the smaller of the two, before you met this guy, yeah. you put this thing under contract before you had the money raised for that one also, right? Yes. Yep. Well, let's talk um, about this. Let's talk about this, okay? Because if, this might be natural to you and maybe even to me, but this is very unnatural for a lot of people. It creates so much fear that most people actually will never make even an offer because they're afraid right. it's going to be accepted. Now, Tell me, try to explain why in the world Todd would not only make an offer on something he can't afford, but actually put it on a contract and he knows he can't afford it right now. Yeah. So, you know, you, you can structure contracts a lot of ways and, you know, you can protect yourself and you can get something under control and, you know, you have a due diligence period and you have a way to back out. And the price for the land was actually really, really good. And I knew that we could turn around and flip it if need be. You know, I, the, we got it, I think it's like 130000 for this piece of land, which is probably worth 250. So I knew that worst case scenario, I could turn around, I could flip the contract with someone. 
And I also knew, you know, just based on the numbers that we could raise the money. So I, we had one other investor who was like kind of my first investor who hadn't even invested yet, but you know, a local guy, local businessman, you know, his business is super successful. And he basically said, look, if you can get me these types of returns on a deal, bring me the deal and, and I'll fund it. So, you know, you, you don't have the money in the bank, but you're trusting this person because, you know, I know him and I knew his reputation and, you know, his standing in the business community. And I knew that if I came to him, he'd put up some of the money and, you know, things just, I don't know if you, you take some risks sometimes, but I felt like it was a calculated risk. Well, first of all, you started raising, quote, raising money much sooner than this. And we may not say, you had conversations with people saying, hey, what if I found something that had these returns? They go, well, that's very interesting right. to me, right? So you've had conversations like that. Now, no one actually said, yes, I'm going to, here's your check. But they said, hey, if you find something like that, I'm interested. So the key is, yeah. you know, have these conversations up front. And then the second thing is there's always an out in the contract. So your out was, I could terminate exactly. the contract doing due diligence and or I can flip the contract, right? So what is my, what is my out? And so that gives you a good amount of time before you can get out of the contract. Still pretty gutsy. I, sometimes I feel like uh, we, you need to walk through open doors. There's an open door. Yeah. We just don't walk through it. And it's a little bit of a leap of faith, sometimes a lot of a leap of faith. And what happens is almost like miraculous things happen, like that, you know, that enable yeah. that. Like you bumping into this one guy going, you know, spending five hours with you and writing a huge check and then later on recruiting a bunch of, I just been my experience. When you walk through those open doors, a lot of times things just happen almost miraculously. Yeah, no, if you, if you always do the right thing, you know, good things eventually happen. And, you know, you got to take risks in life. And, you know, I think that's really the difference between, you know, people that are successful as entrepreneurs or in, you know, real estate specifically is not being afraid to fail. Because you learn more from your failures than you do your successes. Because I've had so many failures. <laughs> like, the more you fail, the more you're going to learn. And it's like, you don't repeat those mistakes. But the only way that you're ever going to get to that point is you got to take a little bit of a risk. You know, and I, I, you know, I've talked to people, I'm always happy to mentor people. You know, I, I want to see other people be successful. And, you know, they're like, well, what happens if my contractor walks off the job? Or what happens to this? And it's like, okay, well, yes, that is scary. And yes, that is going to happen. But that's also an opportunity. If that contractor walks off, that's one less bad contract you have to worry about. And that opens the door for you to find a good contractor. Maybe you have to have two or three or four bad contractors. But eventually, once you get that good one, there's good quality work, you know, at a fair price that allows you to essentially help grow your business. So, you know, without failure, you're never going to get anywhere in life. And like for me, and I think maybe that's why I've, you know, been able to kind of do what I do is I have a different perspective than I think a lot of people do. And again, like I think that failure is good. I think the more that you fail, the more you're going to learn and the more you're going to grow and the more confidence that you're going to essentially gain, the more knowledge you're going to have. So yeah, I, I totally agree. I think we have a, a view of failure that failure is bad. And actually, right. it's very unpleasant as you're going through it. But without exception, those failures are such important lessons that have set me up for you know, what I'm doing today, where without those failures, I probably would not have been in the same position. And I think maybe we should not think about failure in terms of, oh, failure bad, avoid at all costs. But what can I do to fail more so I can grow faster? Right. I remember, I remember right. when I was, when I was in my early 30s, I would, I would read all these autobiographies of these rich billionaires, right? And one of the things they always had in common was they had these massive failures, sometimes repeatedly. And I thought I was a pretty right. smart guy. I had never failed at anything at that point. I was still employed. And I was like, well, I'm a pretty successful guy. I'm a pretty smart guy. I haven't failed at all. Where does that put me exactly? I was like scratching right. my head going, 
something's maybe something's wrong with me. Maybe I'm actually not successful. And in hindsight, that's exactly what it was. Is that the failures were missing in my life? Yeah, no, that's it, it's really interesting. And you know, I think that's what holds a lot of people back. You know, a lot of people they keep themselves in this box where it's safe and they don't like to get outside their comfort zone. And you know, I think fear is the driving factor there. You know, and it's people are afraid to fail and they look at it as failure being a bad thing. And, you know, it's, it's until you actually have that mind shift where you say, wait a minute, failure is actually probably the best thing that's ever going to happen to you. You can't grow without failing. It's like, I've got three kids and watching them learn how to walk, right? And they have to fall down and they get hurt. But you're never going to learn how to run if you don't first learn how to walk. And you're not going to learn how to walk if you don't constantly fall down and hurt yourself. You know, but eventually you can become this amazing athlete or anything you want because you took that first step. And that's the key is you got to take that first step. You got to know that you're going to fall down, but it's going to be all right because in life, every problem has a solution, you know, and you just have to take the time to figure out how to get through it. If your contractor walks off the job, you pick up the phone and you find some more contractors, you know, like there's, you're going to run into problems every single day. It's just being able to face them or welcoming, you know, those opportunities. Now, so failure is not bad, but there are lessons learned. And sometimes, now hindsight is always twenty twenty. but sometimes yeah. I look at my own experience, I don't regret anything because, although I wouldn't be the person I am right now, but sometimes I wish I had been a little more self-aware, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I would have maybe thought things through or been more aware of what I actually wanted to do versus just kind of doing something. Uh, a lot of people obviously end up not doing something and they're constantly analyzing, and that's the other problem as well. But is there anything like if you can have a conversation with your younger version of yourself, and you said, Todd, you know what, you know, you can save yourself a lot of misery and still end up in the same place faster if you did this. Now, what would you tell yourself? You know, it's a really tough question. I get asked this a lot, believe it or not, you know, like, what would you do differently with your career, your life? And I don't know, it's hard for me to actually process that. And I don't know if it's because I have kids, it's because the way I think of it, like, if one tiny little thing changed, like, maybe one of my kids wouldn't have been born, you know? So it's like, I don't know if I would change anything. If I could talk to my younger self, I would say, just follow your heart and do what you're doing. And, you know, because there were definitely times when you're starting out and you don't have any success and you have all that self-doubt and you listen to the people who haven't done it themselves. You know, like I, my mom still to this day says, you know, Todd, you got to slow down. You know, she always wanted me to be a school teacher, but it's like, you know, my mom's a school teacher. So I shouldn't be taking business advice from my mom, you know? So just, I would tell myself, don't do anything different. Just follow your heart, be passionate, work hard. And it's funny because like, I used to think about the Quiznos. You know, like when I had the bankruptcy and I went through all that stuff, I was like, man, I wish I had worked at a Quiznos for three months before I bought one. Because I would have realized, you know, hey, this is not what I want to be doing. But with that said, if I hadn't done the Quiznos, I never would have gotten into real estate. And if I hadn't done the Quiznos, I never would have done the, the internet company. And if I hadn't done that, I never would have moved to Brooklyn where I met my wife. You know, So it's like, I wouldn't change one thing about my life. If I could give advice to someone else who's starting out, I, would say, I, I think the biggest piece of advice would be maybe twofold. Number one, do not do something unless you're passionate about it, which is the Quiznos thing. It's funny because if I hadn't gone through all that, I never would have really experienced that, you know, that pain. And, you know, so I think if you're going to be an entrepreneur and you're going to be risking everything, you got to love what you're doing. You got to get up every day and be excited. You got to be thinking about it before you go to bed at night. You know, you got to have that drive, that passion, because it's going to be hard. <laughs> you know, 
And then the other thing is, you know, don't be afraid to fail. So if I could tell someone that's starting out or thinking about getting into real estate, I would say go for it. You know, you got to take risks in life. You're going to be okay. Things are not going to go as you plan, but at the end of the day, you're going to be a better person for it. And you know, there's nothing more gratifying in life than seeing something that you sacrificed for come to fruition. You know, I think that's why I love real estate so much because it's like it goes from a concept to a final product. At the end of the day, you can look back and it's like, oh my gosh, like I just built this for me. Like, you know, we, we just finished an eight story building. I'm like, man, I just built a steel and concrete building. It's insane. <laughs> like, it's insane to me. And you sit there and you're like, everything that you went through, to, and then there's this final product. It's like, I did that, you know? And that is, to me, is more rewarding than the financial aspect of it. It's, it's like, it's true accomplishment. I, I think the advice is good is, is uh, you know, do something that you're really passionate about. And I think the same thing with the restaurants. It was, it was just a financial thing, right? I, I didn't really feel it, yep. anything. I didn't have, I wasn't a foodie. I wasn't a restaurant guy. It was an investment, right? And fine, if you're making a passive investment, you know, you don't have to be passionate about the investment, right? But if you're going to do, a, do something every single day and you're involved, you got to love it. You really got to, you got to yeah. love it. And so that's good advice. Now, what do you think sets you apart from other people? And I would say not who fail because we talked about failure not being bad, but, but who are not successful to find normally, these are people who don't take action. So the people that do take action and fail, I actually consider them a success like we just talked about. I think the biggest the yeah. majority of people they don't actually ever do anything. They're stuck and they're stuck by procrastination, by fear, by busyness, whatever the case may be, maybe lack of self-awareness even. Someone's sitting here, you're drinking coffee with them and they're like, Todd, I, w- I want to quit my job. I want you know, passive income I get, and, I, and I want to use real estate. What sets you apart from someone who just sits there and wonders all day? Again, I think fear is it, it's the strongest human emotion. And I think my perspective has always been you know, failure is okay. And I think that's really what differentiates the people that never even get started. You know, and I I talked before about people like, you know, putting themselves inside of their comfort zone box and not be willing to get out of it. And I would say to them, look, baby steps make all the difference. I mean, every time you do something that makes you uncomfortable, you grow as a person from that. So like, here's a good example. I was at, you know, a conference back when I had the franchise and I despise public speaking. Like, I mean, to this day, like my heart starts pounding when I think about it. And I was asked to speak just because I was doing such a good job, like running the business and everything. And my mentor, he was going right before me. So, you know, I'm like, this is the guy that I look up to in the restaurant business. I really respect him as a person and as a businessman. And, you know, he gets up and he just starts like, when I say like choking, like literally choking, like he couldn't even get the words out and he starts sipping water. And then all of a sudden he goes, and here's Todd Fox. So like, I wasn't even ready for it. Like I'm waiting for the, you know, his five minutes and then like, I was going to ease into it. And all of a sudden I'm like, I just like, I, I couldn't breathe. And I ended I got up and I did it. And, you know, to me, I was like, man, that's one of the biggest accomplishments. And like me even saying yes to do that. I remember thinking, you know what, I'll probably never have this opportunity again. And I have to take advantage of this opportunity. I can't just let it pass me by. You know, I didn't really have anything to gain from it other than it was going to force me to get outside my comfort zone. And after I did it, I felt so empowered. You know, I didn't get any money from it. It wasn't like, you know, it helped my career or anything like that. It was just more of a personal gain. So it's like, you know, for people, if you're, you know, maybe you don't want to jump right into real estate, but start, you know, setting small goals for yourself. You know, even if it's, you know, you want to get in shape, you know, just, just walk to the end of the block and back. And then, you know, next week you can walk 
Tupac and back. And then, you know, three or four, like as long as you're building momentum, eventually when you start to get confidence in yourself, you start to realize that you can do things and you are capable. So you can say right now, I am not the smartest guy in the room. I'm probably the least intelligent person in my company. You know, I've never been the most intelligent person, but you don't need to be. You know, you just need to kind of take that first step or take little baby steps. And, you know, then you start to realize and gain confidence and, you know, gain relationships and gain knowledge. So, yeah, you know, people talk a lot about taking massive action. I'm with you. I think take tiny action. That's what gets the job done. You build that momentum. And a lot of people are overwhelmed by having to take massive action. And it's not necessary. In fact, I think it's, it holds a lot of people back. That's a very, I agree. Yeah. Very, very good point is build that momentum. Yeah. Even something as simple as like, Hey, look, set your alarm clock to wake up 30 minutes earlier than you normally do. And take that 30 minutes to maybe read a book, like a self-help book or a business book, you know, like just little baby steps. And it's like, you got to get the ball rolling though. You know, you, you can't just expect things to happen to you. And maybe that's part of the problem is people, they wait for that big opportunity as opposed to going out and creating that opportunity. Yeah, that's awesome. Todd, how can people connect with you? I think the best way is you can go to our website, which is vismdevelopment.com, V-I-S-U-M, and go to our contact page. You know, we're also on Instagram and Facebook at Vism Development. So that's definitely the best way if people want to reach out. And you know, like I said, I, I love to mentor people. I'm kind of super busy right now because we're in the middle of construction, but you know, I will get back to you eventually. And I love helping people. So you know, if, if you're just looking for advice or connections, I mean, please feel free to reach out. Well, it's amazing what you've done right now, but it's all started years ago when you were taking those, those little steps and you kind of, you know, hustled through it and you got through the, the setbacks and the, and the ruts and, you know, now you're an overnight success, right? But it actually took a long time. Yeah, definitely not overnight. I mean, it's, it's you know, it, it's been a lot of, lot of sleepless nights and sacrifices. And, you know, it's really amazing because I think back to that first duplex or maybe even when I said, okay, I'm going to own these, these 10 duplexes. And this morning I started getting emails from people because our company, and I didn't even know this, but we're the fastest growing private company in New York state. So, and that was for 2016, which, and I, and I'm like, you know, it's insane to me to think about, we started out with, or I started out thinking, Hey, I want to own 10 duplexes and it just snowballed. You know, I, I kept feeding the machine and it kept growing. And, you know, today it's like, Hey, we're the fastest growing private company in New York state. So it's just mind boggling. That's amazing. Congratulations. So hey, Todd, thanks. Thanks again for going to the time machine and, you know, reworking some of these, how you got started. Really appreciate you sharing your experience with us. Yeah, no, I'm really glad that you had me on. It's pretty, it's been a good experience in my first real podcast. And, you know, we listen to the show and we love you. So I'm, I'm glad that we could be on. All right, guys, so many great lessons in the show. So yeah, big from my scribble notes uh, off the show here. So let's go in no particular order. Uh, Todd said, follow your heart, okay? Follow your passion. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes, or maybe often, we do things that are not aligned with our hearts, right? And a lot of times for the breadwinners and the families, this is going to the job that we really don't love. It's something that we have to do because we feel responsibility, but our heart's not in it. So we go through the motions and we go through everyday routine, but really we're not on fire. And even looking at myself, you know, getting into stuff for maybe the wrong reasons because you're not, your heart's really not in it. So what is your heart telling you? And start listening to that because in almost every case, when, when people follow their hearts, good things happen. But in order to do that, there's always risk associated with that. So following your heart is risky. It's uncomfortable. 
And so typically the life that we want is almost always outside our comfort zone. It's like this giant barrier that we can't get through unless we break through that comfort zone. I really like what Tad Sud said about failure is okay. We think that failure is bad. I don't know, maybe the culture says, says that failure is bad. I think also our ego is attached to who we are and what's in our comfort zone. And we feel like when we fail, we lose something. We're concerned about what people think. We're concerned about losing something that we think that belongs to us, like money or the house that we drive or the car that we have. And we have this attachment to things. But if we can think about the fact that failure is actually, is actually good for us. And in hindsight now, having been through several failures and talking to people like Todd, in almost all exceptions, failure, unless it kills you, is actually good. And it makes us stronger, makes us the person that we are. So really, when you study successful people, almost all of them, I would say all of them, have had failures. Some of them massive and, some, and many of them repeated. So maybe we should try to fail more often. Maybe we should get our kids to fail more often, to get comfortable in failing. Unfortunately, we don't teach that in schools. Because if you get a bad grade, you've essentially failed. Okay, but life is all about failing repeatedly because that's what makes us a better person. So follow your heart. Don't be afraid to fail. In fact, welcome failure. And uh, yeah, I mean, those are two key takeaways from, from the show here is those things. If you can think about it in that way, it takes a lot of pressure off us when we think about failing or we're afraid of failing. The other thing I also like to do is I like to kind of play the worst case scenario exercise. So when I'm afraid of something, I actually write down what could happen. And the scenarios that I'm envisioning in my brain are so absurd that the likelihood of them happening is, is almost zero. And the ones that are more likely to happen or, or possibly happen, it actually not as bad as I thought they were going to be. Even a bankruptcy in the case of Todd or me losing 95% of my net worth was pretty bad. I mean, it's painful. And I don't want to take away from that, from that experience. But you see repeatedly people recover from that and it doesn't kill them. In fact, it makes them stronger. So if we're afraid of losing money, so what? Okay, how, how bad can it really be? And kind of playing that worst case scenario. So I, I like the way that Todd thinks about and thinks about failure, that it's not only a K, but we need to kind of, we need to get in a mode of failing more often. And the life that we seek is outside our comfort zone. So the only way to get there is to go outside our comfort zone. Make sense? All right, guys, it's a great lesson today. Hope you got value out of that. If you love the show, uh, head on over to iTunes. If you have an iPhone or iDevice and uh, leave me a review, we'd love to read those. It also exposes the show to more people because our message really is, yes, you can be financially free with real estate, but probably not in the way you think, which is typically single family houses, right? And so the secret is, uh, is apartment buildings. And he started with duplexes and started building apartment buildings. So the, most people who quit their job in real estate do it with apartment buildings. And almost everyone I interview on the show says, you know, I wish I would have skipped the single family stuff and gone right to apartments because now I know... I can do that without prior experience and without um, having my own money because, uh, well, we're going to raise it. Um, speaking of raising money, uh, one of the first next things you can do if you haven't done so already is head over to my website, themichaelblank.com, and download my free ebook called The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building Deal. So that's at themichaelblank.com forward slash ebook. So hope you enjoyed this lesson today, and we will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.